mics. Thank you again for enduring me. Uh, for those of you who may not know me, I'm Casey. Um, often I pinch hit for Scott in the preaching segment. Uh, it is a joyful thing to be here with you all. Uh, at the end of the at the end of our uh, ministry of the table, uh, we always talk about uh, it is a good and joyful thing always and everywhere to give thanks to God. Um, and always and everywhere, I give thanks to God for you, St. Michael's, uh, and for the opportunity uh, to work here and uh, help here. Uh, and so I, I pray that I continue to be helpful, uh, and I pray uh, that we continue to do great work in the world. Um, and I relish every opportunity to stand in front of you all, um, and it's such an honor. As Tony noted, it's Trinity Sunday, uh, and in pulpits across the world, uh, young preachers and priests uh, who don't know any better, <laughs> and old preachers uh, who are feeling particularly bold um, are trying to unpack the mystery of the Trinity, uh, a peculiarly Christian idea uh, of the triune God, God that is three uh, in one, uh, the blessed Trinity. I am young, uh, but I know better, <laughs> uh, and I'm not feeling particularly bold uh, this, this morning, or at least Trinitarian theology is not the source of my courage. Uh, but I do think courage is the order of the day, uh, a, a broader courage, uh, a more swimming courage, not specifically about Trinitarian theology, but the courage uh, to ask difficult questions, and, and swim uh, in the deeps of the answers that we get. In our gospel this morning, we have a very familiar passage. Our friend, the Pharisee, Nicodemus, comes to Jesus at night and asks, Jesus, how can one be born again? Now, poor Nicodemus gets his share of criticism, but I think we have to take a moment and appreciate Nicodemus's question and the way he asks it. Granted, he comes to our Lord at night so as not to be seen, but one must applaud his boldness. Recently on the PBS NewsHour segment, Brief But Spectacular, uh, astrophysicist Neil deGrasse Tyson described deniers as people who wish the world was a way that does not agree with the operations of nature. And he described skeptics as people who will only accept what is said in proportion to the weight of the evidence presented. Nicodemus is skeptical. He is not denying the reality of what Jesus is doing or what people have experienced. He just wants to understand how it works. Nicodemus is saying to Jesus, I see what you are doing, but I need to understand how. I think we often find ourselves coming to God like Nicodemus. We are clear on what God is doing, but we want to peep behind the curtain and see how the gravy is made. It is not enough for us to know that God is good. 
We need to be able to explain in a rational way how God is working towards good in the world. We want to be able to point to the example and the process of God's grace and mercy. We need to unpack the Holy Trinity. We need to examine the evidence before we can accept the truth we know. Beloved, that's okay. In fact, I believe God welcomes our skepticism as much as our faith. Notice that Jesus answers Nicodemus twice. God is interested in thoughtful as well as faithful believers. Paul says it like this, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. When the apostles were gathered in the upper room after the resurrection, Jesus opened their minds to understand the scriptures. In today's gospel, Jesus is concerned that Nicodemus does not know enough to understand the answer to his own question. We serve a God who cares about what and how we think. We serve a God who is willing and able to engage our questions. But to what end? Why do we do the things we do? Why does God do the things she does? This is the pivot and tension in our gospel. Nicodemus is asking, how can one be born again? And Jesus is explaining why one must be born again. Jesus says, start with the why or you will never be satisfied. Start with the why or you will never see the kingdom. Start with the why or knowledge is for naught, And knowledge will never be gained. Our friend St. Anselm's uh, uh, motto was faith seeking understanding. Uh, many young theologians um, and old theologians, all the same, um, they use that phrase as the definition of theology, uh, the definition of how we think about and try to understand God, uh, that it is faith seeking understanding. One writer interpreted the motto uh, as an active love of God seeking a deeper knowledge of God. Love is God's why. And when we know God's love, we know God, and our questions deepen that knowledge. Every Sunday, my childhood pastor asked our congregation, why do we do the things that we do? In unison, the congregation answered, for the love of God through Jesus Christ. Every Sunday, there was the same call and response. Before the sermon, because my pastor knew that nothing he said or taught or learned or did amounted to anything in the church or in the world if we did not know God's love. Our faith-seeking understanding is not merely an intellectual exercise. It is a courageous act of love. However, we must know God's love first. We must accept the reality of God's love or our questions and God's answers will perpetually make no sense. How then do we know God's love? The other evening, my wife and I, uh, Amani, 
we were, were watching television, and she paused the TV um, as, I don't know if this happens in other people's relationships, but this happens often. She pauses the TV, she looks me in the eyes, um, and she asks some deep question. This <laughs> is generally, usually unrelated to, to whatever the television show is, um, but sometimes marginally related. Uh, I think this time it was. Um, and this time her question uh, was how I knew she was the one. I made the mistake of thinking she was kidding. <laughs> However, when I realized she was serious, uh, I told her that I knew I loved her the first time I saw her. She pressed and pressed and pressed and pressed. Uh, how did I know? Um, I just did. Finally, I told her there was not a moment or thing that did it. Uh, it was something that I felt in my soul. And then as time went on and we got to know each other, the knowledge deepened and strengthened the love I have. Like Bishop Curry said in his sermon last weekend, and I'm going to try not to. Will you preach about love after Bishop Curry preached that sermon? It's hard not to just take his entire sermon <laughs> and just preach it and then throw in some touches. <laughs> but I, 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 I feel like I've restrained and hopefully I, I continue to. <laughs> but I will quote this uh, thing that he said. He said, uh, we know love because it feels right. For me, our love, uh, the love I share with my wife, uh, is eternal. And while the intellectual experience of knowing Amani strengthens and deepens that love, it starts with a feeling. As Wesley Jack said last week, uh, oftentimes we think, we get in our head, uh, we over-intellectualize, and then we lose sight of the spirit. And I think that's what Jesus is getting at. We have to know the feeling. We have to feel the spirit. Uh, we have to know God's love before uh, we can even understand the questions that we're asking. Our understanding of God starts with the feeling. And that affective knowledge cannot be dismissed. In fact, it is the center of our world and way of being. God is love, and where true love is, God is there. Everyone who loves knows God and are born of God. It is who we are as Christians and must live into that reality, we must be born into the reality of God's love. Yes, Bishop Curry, love is the way. But more than that, Love is the reality. Love is more than a tool or a change in course. It is the premise from which all things live and grow and have their being. Love is the nature of our world. I struggled with how, how to finish this sermon. Uh, I wanted to end with a litany of injustices that we can overcome when love is our reality. But that was taken. <laughs> As I prayed and thought about it, I realized that we practice the heart of this sermon and the heart of this text every week. 
Much like my childhood pastor would ask the congregation why we do what we do at the beginning of every sermon, Scott asks us, asks us all, what are you thinking? What are you feeling? What do you have to say today? On their own, these questions are perfectly tame. But when love is our reality, these questions become keys to a whole new world. If God's love is our reality, what we think, what we feel, and what we say become a miracle waiting to happen. If God's love is our reality, the questions we raise become an opportunity for new relationship. In a world of skeptics and deniers, we know that the facts we present have often become a barrier to the work of love and justice. However, when we know that we stand in the presence of God, our questions point us toward love and pull us deeper into the love of God through Jesus Christ. When God's love is our reality, the Holy Spirit moves. So I won't end with the litany of things that we can overcome. Uh, even though in the text, I will say this, in the text, even death is overcome uh, in the presence of God, in the knowledge of God's love, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, whosoever believes in him shall not perish, shall not stop at death, but shall have everlasting life. We encounter death, but we move past it in our knowledge of God's love. And so, as I stand here today, I end with this. Beloved, what are you thinking? What are you feeling? What do you have to say today? Amen.